Well, hello and welcome to the second episode of the Hartlepool United podcast. Delighted to say that alongside me, Mark Simpson, this afternoon I'm joined by the Chief Executive, Mark McGuire. Hello. And our Director of Football, Craig Higgard. Hello. Uh, no Matthew Bates the, in this afternoon's... Having a lie down in a dark room somewhere, I think, <laughs> after last night. Trying to come to terms with last night, yeah. I mean, there's no other place we can really start other than last night. I mean, has anyone got their heads round what, what went on? Well, you've only just stopped ranting at the referee for yeah. the time. You can cover that one in a moment, maybe. <laughs> but uh, no, gutted, gutted for the fans, gutted for the players, the manager um, and the chairman in particular, because obviously it would have been a nice, it would have eased the path a little bit, wouldn't it, in terms of all the challenges we've got. But uh, you're sitting there at 94 minutes and we should probably know better, but you're sitting there thinking about the potential upside and then it kicks you in the teeth doesn't it so uh, everyone's walking around the office today like they've been smacked in the face and it, it feels like that it was it was a particularly painful one wasn't it yeah I mean when you you know 2 nil up regardless of, of the opposition you, you'd fancy yourself seeing the game out but um, like Mark says football's got a funny way of kicking you in the teeth and we were a bit sloppy to be honest at the start of the second half to let them score after 50 minutes I think it was but then we seen the game comfortably out you know I didn't think they caused us massive problems I thought we caused them more problems than they caused us and over the two games I'd probably say we deserved to, to win it um, but you don't always get what you deserve in football and you know 96 minutes was it the, the penalty by the time it got taken was 96 was, it was 94 was minutes ridiculous. and 47 seconds by my reckoning yeah which do you was, want to tell us about your conversation well, with Jeff Winter yeah I mean or was it a conversation well so last night I was particularly <laughs> angry in the commentary as people who are listening to the Pools Player commentary will have uh, gathered <laughs> I'm pretty sure um, I've spoken to Jeff Winter again today and, and he basically is with the referee in terms of how much stoppage time was played he's got to be in there well, he's, he's his, his reasoning is, and I can kind of get in the head of that, and, I, and you know what, looking back on it, reflecting with a clearer head, I guess. Um, obviously, there was there was some time wasting going on during the added on time at the end of, of the stoppage time, so he's added time on, but I still stand by the fact that when that ball goes back on the halfway line and Gabriel Zagawani's got hold of the ball, if the referee blows his full-time whistle then, Nobody in Gillingham Colours complains. All the people in the board, uh, the directors, they get up and shake hands and, and, and they get back on the bus and, and go back to Gillingham thinking, wow, we've just been knocked out of a National League side. I don't think that anyone looks at the referee and says, you should have added on more time. Well, if that's the case and that's his argument, why didn't he do it at the end of extra time? So second half of extra time, two minutes goes up yeah. and he played one minute, 50 seconds. Didn't even play the two minutes. No, he didn't play the two which minutes. Which is a minimum. Yeah. So... What's, uh, get Jeff on the phone. Let's see what his excuse is for playing less than the two minutes. Because there yeah. isn't one. Look, we could talk about it. He, Unless he, he felt he played the 10 seconds over at the end of the first. It was, it was strange because he, he, he seemed to, referees have this want, I think it was you were speaking about, Mark, wasn't it? They're saying they want to blow the whistle while the ball's in play, which is fine. But then at the end of the first period of extra time, he blew when it was a goal kick and yeah. the ball was out of play yeah. so there seems to be no consistency with the timekeeping and other things my opinion is the referee almost thought oh, we'll, we'll just teach Pools a lesson here sort of keep the time going I don't know he's entitled to add on a minute that is the bottom line unfortunately he is entitled but where to did he get on. his extra minute from in the four minutes so if there's been two subs two yellow cards it was the there's three minutes the time wasting of the Hartlepool players is basically where he's saying that the, the so extra time so when their keeper started wasting time when they got uh, in the league exactly yeah there was no yellow card for him 
and it's it goes back to the consistency that you're on about and that's what frustrates everyone mm-hmm. if everyone was the same if if every situation was treated the same by the referee you'd have no complaints the complaint is it isn't so they were getting away with stuff even the throwing I mean they, they had about a minute where they messed about with the throwing yeah. there there wasn't a yellow card produced there wasn't any extra time added on for it so that's that's what we're aggrieved at so if you're doing it for one why not do it for the other to play 50 seconds over when four minutes I thought was a lot anyway was ridiculous Moving on from that gripe I mean we haven't got any complaints really about the penalty issue No it was a pen No no. I think there was a question of a push was there a push but that happens all the time in the box if if, you, if you're Carl Magne, or if I was Carl Magne and I thought I wasn't going to get there and someone was going to edit in, I'd be jumping into players rather than. Can you understand the ball. that panic? Is that ever, you know, when you're on yeah, the field absolutely. in that situation where you think, oh, he's yeah. going to go in the header here, I don't know what to do. And in that flash, in that flash of a minute, you just the flash of a second. It's just got to be instinctive, hasn't yeah. it? It's just got to be a, a, a reflex action rather than anything else, hasn't it? It's not something you do consciously. I think he's obviously felt that he's, he's struggling, the lad's going to score, yeah. and he wants to try and. Mask a handball or deflect the ball as best he can, and that's which is it's the wrong decision because it's it's cost us at the end of the day. And like I say, I'd, I'd much rather me defender jump into a forward than handball. And to be fair to him, he's had a great game up till that point. Oh, fantastic! He? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's he scored a great goal. The first yeah. goal was a really well controlled header. And that was yeah. difficult because it was at a, a funny angle and the yeah, ball had was. bounced off the, the turf. So he'd, he'd done brilliant to put that in, and, and he'd had a really solid game. And just going back to the game itself, Paddy McLaughlin getting his first goal for the club, and he he, he was he was outstanding down at Gillingham, and, mm. and what we were saying this morning, Mark, he was he was excellent. Again he was last magnificent night. last night. I thought he really affected the game, and he was uh, that that I think we were talking about that moment where he went all the way down the byline, yeah. the sideline, and and won the corner. It was just it was just fantastic to watch. But then again, you know, he went on a great run where he's he's burst into the box. He's gone past three, and he's been. He's been impeded, however you look at it, but the ref yeah. hasn't given it because it's in the box. If that's anywhere else on the pitch, he gives a free kick. Yeah. But then going the other way, he's given a really dodgy one to their lad who's done exactly the same thing, burst through three players like Paddy did. The foul was exactly the same, gave them a free kick and they scored for me. He's only given that free kick because it's not in the box. If it's in the box, he isn't given a penalty for the way, was it String, String, their substitute would come on. Mm-hmm. He, um, yeah, I can't remember either. He's a quick, yeah, <laughs> that one. He's a, he's a yeah. quick lad. Yeah. Um, List, Elliot List. List, sorry. Yes, yeah, exactly was, like string, that was, that, isn't it? That was my Tourette. That's what threw me <laughs> off. <laughs> string. It wasn't Tourette. It was. <laughs> yeah. It was my dyslexia coming through there. Um, but he, he burst through three, barely got touched, had overrun the ball in any case, but he got a foul for it. If that's in the penalty box, mm-hmm. that referee last night. Um, wouldn't have given that uh, as a penalty, not a, in a million years. It's just occurred to me while I'm listening to you talk there that if you'd been the manager last night, you'd have got sent off, wouldn't you? I'd, I'd have probably been sent off. If it, wasn't, <laughs> if it wasn't during the game, then after the game, probably. So do you, th- do you think, yeah, from the football experience that you've got and from being involved in games as a manager or player, the, the kind of thing that gets trotted out on these occasions, gutted as we are, is that... Oh, it evens itself out across the season and stuff like that. But no. I think Mark, you were saying in the office this morning, you know, like if we take your point that um, the the referee thinks right, I'll teach them a bit of lesson, thinking there'll be no consequences to it. Mm. But the reality of that proving a point, should we call it, costs the club fifty grand and the chance to earn yeah. a lot more, and it's massive for us, isn't it, at this stage? So, does it even itself out? No, it absolutely doesn't. 
unless that referee's going to then go there, oh, there's a 50 grand I, I robbed off you. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I think maybe I have to draw a line there. <laughs> Where's the lawyer? <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, we, we were disappointed last night, but the performance was there, and, and, and we've had to deal with these little bumps in the road over the last few weeks. And I know, Mark, you touched on in your programme notes last night, how, as a club, how behind the scenes you deal with adversity on the pitch. You know, four National League defeats in a row is something we can't hide from. So yeah. how do we go about, you know, dealing with it when, you know, when it feels to some like the world's fallen in a little bit? I, th- I think you've always got to take a breath, haven't you? You've got to take a step back from, from stuff. So the chairman, it was the chairman for me last night, um, for example, that, that I went in and I was, I was, um, we were probably both gutted for him on, on the basis that, you know, he's had to put plenty of money in already and, and if we'd progressed it would have just eased that um, or that need as it were. Um, and so I was, I was really low after the game but the chairman turned around to me and said, look, don't be too down. At the end of the day, um, it was a good performance. We've seen some progress and that's all we want and that kind of sums it up really and yeah. I think that as, as a board, as a group of people, um, we knew, and I think we'll probably talk later about some of the mess that we've got to clear up. We, we knew that we've got a whole lot of mess to, to clear up at the club. We knew that we've got some changes in personnel on the football side of things. We knew that we'd got to grow as a club football-wise and, and off the pitch and that that was going to take time. And so as long as we feel that we're making progress across the board, then we can stay measured and relaxed about it and you're inevitably going to go on runs of results and games and performances which are fantastic for a few weeks and then let you down for a few weeks. Um, But as long as we understand and we feel like we're making progress in the right direction, then that's something we can stay confident with. So it's about not reacting to um, short-term disappointment and looking at it in the context of... And obviously we're the context of the whole thing and we're, we've got the privilege of, of seeing what's going on on the training pitch. Um, Craig's obviously in touch with the manager all of the time and sees what they're trying to do and where they're trying to go and who we're trying to recruit and the changes in personnel we're trying to make and what the plan is. And as long as there's a confidence in what that plan is and what that vision is and that we're going to make progress over the course of the season, then um, we can be delighted with it. And, and as I think we've said before, next season will be surrounding the um, season ticket campaign around a real push for promotion assuming it hasn't come already we'll grab it with both hands if it arises this year and we'd, we'd, we'd love that to happen but realistically it's got to be to sort ourselves out to have that push um, and so in the context of that it's are we making progress are we confident with the direction we're going in and as long as that's the case we won't react to stuff Is that pretty much you know obviously you you, you know the chairman better than most is, is that where he's at in terms of the measured response he gave to last absolutely. night absolutely I've seen it before you you lose two or three and manager goes new manager comes in goes on a little run loses two or three he goes someone else got it. that's not what we want here we want to make this a really a really good club that people will look at and say do you know what I want to go there because I'll get a chance there and it's really important that at the first sign of as Mark said a bump in the road that we don't react and say, oh, this isn't working. As long as we see progress. And by the way, if we play like we did last night, we will win more games than we'll lose. That's, that's a fact. Um, we've, we've played them twice, uh, league one side, two leagues above us, and first game played them off the pitch at their place. Should have won the game, didn't. And I think everyone's seen for themselves last night how, how good we were. 
and I can say unlucky because it, obviously if it's a league game you come away with a draw and you're really disappointed with the draw yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that's progress that's real progress last year apart from the, the things that were going on behind the scenes this club was struggling it, it was people are thinking oh it's going to go again this year no one's ever mentioned the, the relegation word we're as low as we've been this season I think sitting 12th now yeah. we're just I think as long as we stay around the top half that's not a problem that's that's progress for me for the club um, we obviously want to do better than that you know we've we've got our sights on trying to get promoted and trying to get promoted as quick as we can um, but as Mark says as long as we can see progress from where we were from where we took over then that'll do for now Moving on to another topic surrounding the club, I guess one of the major news stories uh, the last week or so, Michael Woods um, leaving the club to join Harrogate Town. It's been quite a, a hotly debated topic uh, around the club. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how that came about and, and, and what the, the factors were in the decision to allow Michael to leave? Well, Michael... And listen, Michael's a great lad. and I had him as a player when I was manager here. Super professional. You couldn't wish to meet a nicer lad. He had a chance to go to Exeter, I believe, um, last season. Yeah. Club kept hold of him because the club wanted to stay in the National League and felt that he was massive for them, which he was, and he'd scored some important goals as well. Um, he was really disappointed with that because he'd had a move lined up mm -hmm. to a league club, obviously Exeter. Um, came in the summer, thanked us for everything, um, still disappointed that he wasn't allowed to leave expressed an interest to leave he said he wanted to leave um, and we'd said to him there listen we, we won't stand in your way as long as the deal is right for the club um, and you want to go then that's fine you can go um, Paul Tisdale then moved from Exeter to MK Dons we thought he was going to go to MK Dons um, that fell through for him so he ended up staying we took his option up because Woodsy was our top scorer, one of our best players, one of our top earners, and we felt if he was going to go to an MK Dons or to an Exeter, that we should get a, a fee for him. Um, it didn't happen, fell through, but all along, Michael expressed his desire to leave the club. Yeah. Didn't want to be here. Um, but being the lad he is and the pro he is, he didn't kick up a fuss. Um, he wasn't a nightmare around the place and that's a testament to him but his heart wasn't in it and I think sometimes you could tell his heart wasn't in it and if I'm the manager and I'm picking between Michael and someone who's signed and wants to be here I'm going to go with the player who wants to be here every day of the week regardless of ability yeah. it's more desire for me um, and I think I think from the club's point of view you know it's again after the uh, we discussed it when when it was all being finally agreed last weekend mm -hmm. and um, the kind of conversation between you and I was oh we, we could do a winning against Barnet because that's going to go down like a lead balloon yeah. and we're fully aware of how it's going to be, be reacted to in certain quarters but what we've got to do is the right things for the club in, in the long term and so from, from my point of view when, I, when we were writing the budgets and we were looking at where we were in the summer there was a list of surplus players we called it so in other words players who either didn't want to be here or we thought we were going to move or, or were were on contracts that we thought we needed to move them out um, and, and Woodsy despite all of the qualities and he has different classes of lad that, as, as Craig suggests 
he was he was on that list and top of that list because we knew he wanted to move. So it was always expected that he would move at some at some stage. Um, then he got in the team. Then he was out of the team. And as Craig says, the, the manager chose players who wanted to be here ahead of him. So clearly, he's frustrated. Wants the move. But at this stage of the season, to a team in the playoff area, and you know all of that kind of thing, it, would you like that to happen from a PR point of view? No. But from a business point of view, and from a strategic point of view, and from a this was always going to be part of the plan point of view, then it's it's it was the right thing. It's, uh, it made it a little bit difficult for our recruitment in the summer because it was up in the air. Mm-hmm. But we needed him gone, if that makes sense, before we could fully invest. Yeah. Because what we didn't want is for him to sit around us to get someone else on a similar wage to him and then be stuck with the both of them earning good money with one of them not playing. Yeah. So it made it a little bit tricky. Um, and that's why uh, Harrogate has to take him on loan. We wouldn't let him go on loan. Um, because of that reason, you know, we, we yes, we get him off the wage bill, but they wanted to take him till January. We want to replace him because we know he doesn't want to be here. But, then but if we replace him and then he comes back in January, yeah. we're stuck in a boat paying two wages, two good wages yeah. for for two players, one of which won't play. So we need our we need our players who earn the top money to be playing week in, week out and to be our best players. I know we were doing the myth bust later on probably, but just to put one thing that I saw to bed, was there any pressure on the management not to select Michael Michael Woods because he got extra money if he played? No. Ridiculous, no. No. There's there's other people on the same deals. Yeah. Um if Michael <coughs> was good enough, was playing well enough, he'd have played every week. Because we've budgeted for Michael playing every week. Yeah. So that for is, is no, it, I think and, and you always get that, don't you? With yeah, and I think let, let's we're going to bring Dave Arthur into the conversation now. But the the, the guy who answers on the finance side of things, we did a budget at the start of the season, which looked at how much money the chairman was going to have to put in, um, and then about six weeks ago, we reviewed that based on the fact that at the start of the season, all of the expectation was those surplus players I referred to would would go or would we'd try and try and move them on. And, and because some of those deals have been done, some haven't, um, we had to review it and say, well, OK, now we're, we're where we are. That's likely to be it till the end of the season. What's it going to cost us? And present that to the chairman. And the chairman, again, was happy to support that, even though it was going to cost him a bit more money. Because he could see that best efforts had been made yeah. to, to save that money, as it were. And, and Woodsy was part of that, because at that stage, we a month ago, we said, well, OK, he's likely to be here for the season. That's where we are. Um, yeah. But it's just improved that situation slightly. But inevitably, as we all know, there's probably likely to be the demand for some strengthening somewhere as well. So it'll change back again. Well, as, as we said in the statement and as Matthew uh, said in his comments, you know, we wish him all the best. Certainly from a media point of view and, and, and everything he did, I couldn't speak highly enough for Michael. And I'm sure he'll do exactly the same kind of thing off the field for Harrogate. Fantastic lad. Um, one thing I'm interested before we sort of end this segment, we, we talk about the... It's been mentioned a few times, you know, the mess that was left to be cleared up, the the problems and the issues that the new ownership had to tackle when they arrived at at the, at the club. What kind of things are we talking about there? Is there anything we can go into that to give the fans an, you know, an insight? We probably need a longer podcast to go through, <laughs> go through most of it, and without get, making this all ridiculously serious, I think. 
you know, it's boring to fans to hear after a few defeats and they, they think we're trotting out excuses about the stuff that mm. needs clearing up, but it does have a material impact on the way we run things and, and it's important that we get a clean sheet as soon as possible in order that we can move forward as a business and on, on the football side of things as well. Um, and it's as I could bore you with stuff from photocopiers to VAT, to whatever, but so so the, the photocopiers I'll bore you with. We signed a contract two years ago where we own the photocopiers, um, but we get maintenance and toner uh, for free if we pay per copy, even though we own the, the photocopy machines. And then we proceed to buy the toner from elsewhere and not get any maintenance, but still pay per copy, and that's cost us £6,000. Um, even more serious than that, uh, and far more serious than that, the VAT was... Um, should we say, wrongly accounted for on season tickets last year um, so that the VAT wasn't paid on the season tickets when they come through. Um, so we've ended up with an £82,000 bill to pay um, of VAT last season. And and that's the, te- the chairman has had to take that on the chin in terms of an extra cost of, of coming in and clearing mess up. And, and don't get me wrong, he expected stuff to come out of the woodwork and, and make contingency for it. But that that's not as simple as just writing a cheque for 82 grand it was inviting HMRC in to look at everything that had been done to make sure that they understood that regardless of what had gone on previously we were now doing everything in exactly the right way because otherwise you're going to be dealing with HMRC every day of the week for the next year or two Um, so we needed to show them that we were running things in the right way and how compliant we are going forward um, which will then take the pressure off so that was VAT inspections that was reporting to them it was then discussing with them over what penalties might or might not be due, um, and then arranging to pay them the eighty, the well, seventy-five thousand pounds plus interest of seven thousand pounds. And and I again, I feel sick on behalf of the chairman for that because that's just coming out of his pocket, isn't it? Um, and in in terms of running his football club, it's a little bit like the the fine that we got for the stuff that happened two or yeah. three years ago. It's stuff that's out of nowhere, just needs clearing up. The chairman's paying for what? no benefit to the club at this point but we're determined to clear it all up and run it in the right way going forward and it's um, it's debilitating when it happens from a cash flow point of view and all of that um, but it, the brilliant thing about the chairman keep going on about him is he doesn't let that affect the core business in terms of saying well you're going to have to take £82,000 off the playing budget he, he just stumps it up but we will be dealing with that in terms of the time that it takes um, the effort involved from everybody um, across the board and, and it's a constant theme really. I don't even ask where the £82,000 has gone but um, <laughs> as I say we, we, you knew the club, you knew the people at the club and obviously we tried to keep it as apprised as we could. I mean is the things that even surprised you even surprised? I mean obviously the season ticket thing but... Well there's just things you find every day like Mark says you don't know what you're going to turn up you know from friends of former owners coming and saying we owe them money for jobs that the could a, a six-year-old kid could have done on a computer um, to learning about the club getting rebranded when it was in a financial mess which is is laughable it was just the whole thing was mismanaged um, morally I can't see how any of the stuff is justified um, and questions have to be asked really about what they actually were doing and where the, where the money was going and um, which listen we we don't want to get et up on that we we knew that when we come in 
Um, the chairman certainly knew he was going to find things, um, and he's been good as gold over it as well. He's he's took it on the chin some of the stuff, um, where I, I'd have been a bit more a bit more angry about it. But he's I think he's been in business long enough to to not let that affect his his proper decisions, and and he's just just got on with it. And and thankfully now we we can see a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, and we're we're getting to the end of it. So. Um, Hopefully that'll be the last we'll talk of stuff. Of the former owners. <laughs> I'm gonna keep all that one completely. We'll just move on. Haven't you got an interesting story no, about you've got Pam? Some great stuff. No, <laughs> I can't get into the subject of the previous owners because I'll get myself into trouble because there was no real communication for the last six months of of the previous owners' tenure. Oh, you were frozen out, similar, weren't you? Well. The whole media I'll, I'll department, all ten the, people the, the in the media department. You know, we, we went and supported the previous chairwoman uh, at the trust meeting uh, that was held last May. Um, we were stood symbolically and actually physically behind her when she delivered her speech to those people in the room. And a couple of months later, she froze us all out, didn't want to take any opinions, didn't want to take our knowledge or expertise or experience around the football club. And like you say, there was there was there was money going out of the football club to, to to things that we didn't, in our opinion, need to spend money on. Um, lots and lots of different things, and it was very frustrating to watch and very frustrating to not be able to do anything about. Um, and yeah, she she I think there was a list of people well above me who uh, were asked to do statements on behalf of the club, and I think thankfully many of the many of the people who were reading these statements knew that I hadn't written them. So the statements, uh, it was very frustrating from a media point of view, from a club point of view. The staff in there have been there a long time, who have got a lot of experience of running a football club, who were just alienated and sidelined. And if, if, if it wasn't, yes, that's perfect, that's what we want to do, then we were just told that we were just, just kept out of the way of the issue. And, and it was very, very frustrating. I could go on all day about it. Cause go on then. <laughs> it's a very emotional subject for me because it was very, very difficult. Oh, and I but, love uh, the gun. <laughs> I love the gun. You just crack on, Mark. Yeah, yeah. I think I'll stop there because yeah. people can probably accept that I'll get as angry as I did last night <laughs> over the referee. Give it. He's given a penalty. Oh, my. What? Four minutes, nearly five minutes on the clock, and the referee had given a penalty. Right, moving on to moments of near brilliance. This was a feature we, um, we sort of... Uh, introduced last week and um, told people that they could get in touch actually gave the media address out uh, the email address to say if anyone had a moment of near brilliance then they could send theirs in to be discussed and shared so thank you to to, to nobody who got in touch <laughs> not <laughs> one person got that, that, no one's <laughs> ever been nearly brilliant <laughs> <laughs> well in that in itself that's a moment of near brilliance because <laughs> yeah, it was like we had a, a brilliant point. idea <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, we still order it out there. If you want to tweet us, if that's easier, if you want to send in any messages or questions for a future podcast, then do do that at media at hartleypoolunited.co.uk or to our Twitter account at official underscore HUFC. But um, we'll, we'll persevere with it, the, the feature. I mean, moments of near brilliance. You gave us a couple last week, Craig, and, and Mark, I, I believe you've come up with one that you... Well, yeah, I've got a couple which bore people to death before Craig tells a, a funny one that... that <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Don't put yourself uh, down. No, man. well, you do, so I'm yeah. well um, there, there was one when I was I was just thought of when I was working in hotels, actually. You love my hotel stories, don't you, Craig? Yeah. Um, so I'll just I was, go to the toilet. Yeah. 
So I was, <laughs> I was back on the hotels again. I was running. Uh. I was running a hotel in the Cotswolds, and it was like we were planning this um, big New Year party, um, and the whole event was surrounded. So it was the, this place was split over two um, sides of a road. There was like an old inn on one side, and then like a big function suite next to the river on the other side. And so me, genius idea, I think, right, what we'll do is we'll do an amazing meal, Michelin star sort of quality meal on uh, in the inn. Um, and then we'll, at, at midnight, we'll kind of take people over to the function suite where we'll have a band playing and all that type of stuff. And so we started to look at how we, how we sort of build the atmosphere through the night and how we take people across the road. Um, and so I thought, oh, a piper would be great, wouldn't it? You know, get, let's get a piper into the room, start playing the bagpipes yeah. and sort of lead people, Pied Piper style, literally across the road. And we started looking into Pied Pipers, and I don't, uh, Pipers, <laughs> and if you've ever tried to get a piper on um, New Year's Eve, it costs thousands of pounds. So that quickly went out of the budget, me being me. <laughs> and so I was talking around, and we had a French waiter who was really into his music, and um, he, was, he, was, he was down near Oxford and he said, oh, I'm involved in all of these things in Oxford, all of these um, music things. So he said, I'll find, you, find, I'll find you somebody. I said, great, do it. And he said, <laughs> he came along and he said, uh, I, found, I found saxophone, a saxophonist. I thought, oh, brilliant, that'd be amazing. Can you build the atmosphere, great food, loads of wine pouring and everything, have a band on the other side. Let's get a guy coming in and playing the sax just launching into it and then guide people across the road. What an amazing thing that would be. And uh, without, I didn't do my due diligence, shall we say. <laughs> so I just trusted him to do it and arrange it. And it gets to the night, the evening's going brilliant, the atmosphere, you can touch it. In, in restaurants, when the atmosphere's good, you can almost sort of feel it. Brilliant. Building up, building up, excitement growing towards midnight. Gets to 11 o'clock, no saxophonist. Quarter past 11, no saxophonist getting a bit worried by now sort of gets to quarter to 12 right we're in trouble now what am I going to do contingency plans coming along and then literally at about seven minutes to 12 this battered old van pulls up outside and this guy I want to say jumps out but hobbles out with <laughs> a wooden leg who <laughs> stomps into the restaurant <laughs> and starts playing the most miserable version of the blues you've ever heard in your life <laughs> and completely killed the atmosphere and then limps across the road with everyone following him <laughs> it was an absolute disaster so it was almost a brilliant New Year's Eve but uh, <laughs> there you go there are a few lessons in there somewhere which I'm sure uh -huh. Uh, Craig, I want you to share this this moment of near brilliance because you went to Barnsley's no. Hall of Fame night, I believe, a few weeks ago, and that led to a particularly uh, near brilliance was, moment. Well, it wasn't near brilliant. Was it? <laughs> I don't know whether this is classed as near brilliance. So I get I get a letter to get an invite to Barnsley's um, inaugural Hall of Fame. Want you to come? Inductees will be done. Can't tell you who's in on the night. Brilliant. You'll find out. So, yeah, okay, no worries, I can go to that. That's no problem. Then, leading up to it, I get a phone call. Can you tell us your, your memories of Barnsley and your favourite game and favourite goals? Fantastic, and, yeah. You know, what, what was the club like back then and blah, blah, blah. So I've, I've given them all that and then I get a phone call the week leading up to it. Now, you're definitely coming, aren't you? I said, yeah, listen, I'm definitely coming, definitely coming. Okay, no worries, can't say who's in, can't say who's in. So I get there on the night and I'm sat there with, with some of the old lads and... We were just having a little chat and a talk, and there was a few there. Danny Wilson was there, Neil yeah. Redfern was there, Ronnie Glavin, all legends of Barnsley's past. 
sat with Ashley Ward and Aidy Moses and Bruce Dyer. Adam Hamill was there, so we're we're having a good chat, and then the, the award starts. So the Ronnie Glavin gets inducted, and then we everyone's clapping, and we talk to Ronnie for a bit, and then Neil Redfern goes up and gets inducted, and and then the fella who's who made it, the Reverend, someone who made the club back back in the day, he was inducted, and he got to the night, and it's like oh, now we've um, we've got someone a very special person here. I'd like to. So call Craig Hignett on stage, and there we go, we up get on stage. And then as I get on stage, he said, um, Craig had a fantastic spell here, very nearly made the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> but didn't quite make it. <laughs> so the taking in of the dinner. I went all the way, having had the conversation, took me time out, went to dinner, to, to get told that I very nearly got in. <laughs> So what did you do? Uh, I, I went off on one and started asking questions of everyone in the room and didn't really <laughs> listen to anything he was saying to me. He asked, he asked me one of the weirdest questions I've ever been asked about. You know, we, we got beaten the playoff final and was that your favourite game for Barnsley? <laughs> I'd just been beaten a playoff final. It was my last ever game for Barnsley. No, it wasn't my favourite. So you took the mic off? So I took the mic off him and I had 10 minutes where I was asking questions of everyone who'd gone up in the night. So like Bruce Dyer does all this... Fantastic community work. What a lovely lad he is. He's got. He's, he goes into schools and teaches the kids. He's in prisons with the prisoners, and he he does his his Sunday church, and he, he does all these wonderful things around Barnsley. But he's got five kids, so I'm. I had the mic, and it was. John John Dennis, the former chairman, was. Um, he said he'd been supporting Barnsley since he was eight, and he grew up and all this. So I, I got the mic, and I just asked these questions. So I. <laughs> I'd said to Bruce, listen, you do some fantastic work. You must have a, an unbelievably busy life. How do you have time to, to have five kids? <laughs> I asked John Dennis which team he supported until he was eight. <laughs> because he did. Uh, I asked Danny Wilson, I think, why I was at Hartlepool for three months before he signed me. <laughs> longest trial ever. <laughs> it was the longest trial ever. And then um, Ronnie Glavin and one of the former players, name escapes me, had, had played for or had managed Emily. Never heard of them, so I'd said, and because he'd said they'd done a bit with Emily, so I, I thought, well, I wanted to know who this Emily was <laughs> and what had they done with her. <laughs> a few of them, so they went. Um, Did you get dragged off stage? I, 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 I don't know what happened, but didn't uh, you hammer the guy who was doing the comparing as well? Yeah, yeah. I had a little pop of him. Um, yeah. I don't know what about, uh, but I just went off into one. You know what? I just got caught up with it, and. Um, uh, ten minutes, and it was the best ten minutes of my life to get them back for for saying I very nearly got in the Hall of Fame <laughs> corridor of fame, yeah. <laughs> the, the waiting time. room of fame, yeah. waiting room of yeah. fame. <laughs> I think so. It wasn't enough. I think thirty-eight goals in sixty games wasn't enough for them. <laughs> <laughs> no, not that you're bitter. Do you think you'll be in Aberdeen's no, Hall of Fame? No, I'm not bitter. Aber- no, I'll probably be in the Hall of Shame there. <laughs> <laughs> Clubs should do that. Hall of Shame. They should have a Hall of Shame. People who've done bad things at clubs. Yeah, that's a great, oh, bloody hell. Before, That'd be all right, that would yeah, be great. Gather would be in every one of them, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, every, ask the nominations of Hall of Shame. Well, yeah, if you, if, you, if, you want, if you want, to, if you've got a Hall of Shame member that's for Hartlepool United over the years, you think you should be voted into the Hall of Shame, then uh, do get them in touch with us. And uh, Not the actual people, that would be a bit embarrassing. <laughs> you get in touch Unless with us. Police, on, in which case, <laughs> you've got our permission to. <laughs> Um, so yeah, send us through your nominations for the Hartlepool United Hall of Shame media at hartlepoolunited.co.uk.
Donaldson sneaks it inside for Denanga. Gets it up to his left foot. Shoots! Oh, yeah. for Paris. The clock yeah. Well, he said he wanted to try and get him on the goals, and he's done it already tonight! So moving on, the uh, the final segment of today's podcast is going to be the Mythbusters. Um, the what? Mythbusters. <laughs> um, so one that just occurred to me while we were talking, actually, that I haven't put on the schedule, so I thought I'd just drop it on you. But uh, this is one of the things that I've heard repeated a long time, uh, and it came up, it crossed my mind when we were talking earlier about wages and things like that. Um, last year we possibly had a, a high wage budget for players and things like that, and people are accusing us this year, I'm accusing for me the wrong word, but saying that Hartlepool United are one of the highest wage payers in the National League. Is that true? No. <laughs> no. No, it's not. And they've just done some benchmarking, actually, with the National League, which right. proves that that's not the case, um, because we'd be below average at this point um, right. for for the National League. So th- there are obviously some extremes, and everyone's aware of all of the, the examples. I mean, the, the obvious examples like Salford, uh, in terms of the size yeah. of their wage budget, and, and the, the rumours, which are, I think, pretty true of the, the amount they're paying per week of players. But then there are clubs which, until recently... Um, and I say until recently because of their current situation, but like Ebbsfleet, who yeah. I think have got a budget which was about probably near a million quid more than ours a year, right. um, which surprises people. And I think that's one of the big challenges facing clubs like Hartlepool is that they're kind of changing face of football in that there are clubs purchase who don't rely on, on their natural income and crowds and season tickets and all that kind of stuff, commercial, but, but have people who just pump money in to drive the the team up the the divisions, so absolutely is an example of that in recent times, and it hasn't succeeded for them. So they're having a review of it, but um, it's a challenge because that's that's the reality, and you don't want to hang on that in terms of excuses why we're not where we want to be yet. No, sort of yeah. thing. and we're confident we will mm. go up in due course. But but there is a reality that no, we're certainly not one of the highest in the division. I mean, th- 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 I suppose we've been. A victim of our own success in the transfer market over the summer because you know people look at it from the outside, even even not just Hartlepool fans. I've heard people at other clubs say, you know, they've obviously paid a fortune. They've got Andrew mm. Davies there. Liam Noble should still be playing in the AFL. He must be getting a fortune at Hartlepool. Mm. These players we've brought in who probably could play at a higher level, they haven't been brought in to break the wage structure. No, that's that's exactly it. They, they've looked at the players that we've got, and they're all players who've played in League One's Premier League in Scotland, League Two. And, and really sh- should be playing there. The thing that's worked in our favour this year, and it doesn't normally work in our favour, yeah. is location. Yeah. So these lads wanted to be back home for one reason or another, but still have plenty to offer. Um, and we were just in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not paying daft wages, like Mark says. We're probably average to below, just maybe below just below. Just below average, yeah. um, and that'll surprise a lot of people. Um, and I keep saying to everyone who says to me, "This is uh, this is the worst we'll get. This is the worst we'll be." I like that line I, I because do. we we've had to deal with a lot of stuff that we've covered behind the scenes. Um, when that's gone, and when we've trimmed the squad and and we've got people where we want them to be, because there is still some overhang from players who were in the in in the EFL or from previous regimes. When when we get everything in order. We'll have a much better team, a more streamlined team, on a budget 
that will be more than what we've got now. Mm-hmm. So and, yeah, and I think there's some common sense to it, and to, to make it. Sorry to interrupt you, Greg, but I think for, to make it kind of clear from the fans that the aim is to keep the budget, assuming we're in this division, um, and we're not promoted already, but keep the budget the same next year as this. But bear in mind the players have already left, mm-hmm. okay, who didn't play games for us, then that wage or that contribution to their wage is freed up to make available for next season so automatically you know you're going to get better which is what Craig's saying about this is the worst we'll be because we're having to work to that level and that budget um, at this stage with with some excess should we say so we're confident with the recruitment that we can do with the, the kind of vision of what type of football that we want here with Craig's ability to do the deals he has already, then that we 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 get much stronger next year. But keep saying it, we'll grab it with both hands if it comes this year. The, the problem we'll have is if we so take the Michael Woods money for example. Mm-hmm. So to replace Michael Woods, you need a proper player, not yeah. a, a youngster you're going to take a gamble on. You want someone who's ready-made, who does the business, who's got experience of either playing in the league or certainly playing and doing really well in this league. Yeah. Um, but in January, you're not going to find them players. You'll find the ones that people don't want. Yeah. And you might get one or two. But generally, the summer is the place where you get the good players out of contracts, looking for a fresh challenge, wanting to come back to a place where they, they're with their families. And that's... So that's when you'll get your best players in the summer transfer window. We haven't got a transfer window, but... The, the summer yeah, window where yeah, yeah. people run out of contracts. January it doesn't happen. People don't sign contracts until January, until January and then you can get them on a free. If you're going to get someone good in January, you're going to pay a fee for them. We're not, if we have to, we don't want to pay a fee. We have, we have paid a fee for Nico, um, and that's something that the chairman, if I went to him and said, listen, we could get this lad and we really want him, um, but he's going to cost X amount of fee, the chairman will look at it. So that's, that's um, something we've... Well, certainly when I was manager I was never able to do that mm-hmm. um, so that's something f- for Matty to consider um, but they have to be the right the right people and we have to make sure that if we are going to spend top money that the person coming in is going to do a top job yeah um, I, I suppose it goes back to Luke Williams you know we get Luke Williams in unbelievably unlucky with the injuries but I know when he's fit that's like signing the best player in the league so as long as he's right for us then we'll do it. Is, is this where a level of patience comes in, I guess? Because, yeah, obviously we want everyone wants to win football matches, everyone wants to be in the top seven of this division as it is, but have safety and security and the knowledge that there is a plan. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to make the team weaker. And, and I don't mean any disrespect by this, but the people we've let go, we haven't made the team any weaker because we, we've got just as, as good left. So, like in the summer when I was talking about, you know, there was question marks over whether Fed would would agree his deal, whether Michael Woods was going to stay. So we went out and signed with Nobs and we went out and signed Paddy, and then we ended up keeping the four of them mm-hmm. when we'd made provisions for yeah. one or two of them actually either not accepting a contract or leaving. Um, so that wasn't ideal, but we felt we had to cover ourselves just in case, which was the right thing to do at the time. So now when we get to the summer. We're all right there. If if two go, we don't have to recruit another two yeah. to take their place. We can recruit different types. So we know what we need in midfield for, yeah. for the summer already. 
um, and we'll actively go out and we'll get a list together and we'll know that listen when when the summer comes I'll get lists of people who I know who of players who are out of, of contract who might be of interest to us and are in our pay structure as well which isn't always easy. It's, it sounds it sounds like you should just go out and sign anyone you want. Yeah. But the reality is, some people are just outside your wage structure, and they won't they won't bend for anyone yeah, because they'll get a club because they're good players. So that's our that's our challenge to make it a, an attractive club to want to come and play for. Yeah, brilliant. And, and one thing I did read, we'll move on to another myth um, that I saw online was um, someone had, had apparently on the, on one of the message boards. Had, it, 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 it claimed that there was a steward who said that they didn't get paid on time, that the wages hadn't gone in on the 25th, they'd gone in at the end of the month instead, and that that meant there was all kinds of financial trouble heading in the club's direction, which <laughs> it, it is quite easy to, to debunk, Mark. Yeah, it's a, stra- it's a really straightforward one. So, I mean, in terms of the structure of the club, now we are uh, officially part of the Prestige Group, um, which is obviously the, the chairman's company. Um, and we're trying to get all of the accountancy practices in line with theirs and one of the things we're trying to get in line is payday um, they'll get paid on, on the last working day of the month and historically the club here has been paid on the 25th um, and a month ago that came into I think it was a month or two months ago that came into, month, into practice um, and I don't think a couple of stewards have got the message and so all hell let loose <laughs> it was um, wasn't the best of days for poor Sarah in the office who thought she'd sent an email and got 20 phone calls in the space of half an hour and um, was the most hated man in uh, woman in Britain at that stage oh that's an all different room we have to bump that myth straight away oh really oh, well I don't know about that right well I'll let you deal with it um, I'm um, not sure I want to bust that one I think we're safe she won't hear it because she listened to two minutes of the last podcast and said she hears it in the office every day so not very interesting so, so no, that that really straightforward. Um, it was just to bring things in line, and um, you know, I can confidently tell you there are n- no truth in any of those rumours. And finally, I uh, just want to touch on a little bit that was talked about the message boards in regards to the the lounges and the facilities we have at the ground and how we can best use them on match days. And and I thought that was a nice idea to bring that in to talk about you know some of the the development ideas we've we've seen already. At the yeah. stadium and, and and what's sort of in the pipeline for the future? Yeah, no, there's 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 loads of plans, and the reality is you can only do a bit at a time um, because what you can't do is get loads of building works going on in the stadium whilst we're running football matches, and you can't you've got to do it in between games. And equally with the level of personnel that you've got, there's only so much that can be addressed at, at one time. So we've started looking on the corporate side of things, we've brought new caterers in, we've tried to upgrade the facilities a little bit for people who who pay for hospitality. So new seats have gone in across the director's box and we've given more comfortable seats throughout that um, to to make the experience better. Um, And and there are plans to knock a couple of the boxes into one to create a new executive lounge up there. Um, and then in terms of the Victoria Lounge and the Centenary Lounge, we've got big plans for those going forward. Um, so the Centenary uh, Bar is, is something we want to turn into more of a, a sports bar. And we've got a bit of an idea at the moment to call it something like the Tunnel Bar and open the space up so you oh, can right, see yeah. into the players' tunnel, put a one-way window in there um, so the, the players can't see what you think, um, <laughs> but you, you can see what they think. Um, 
<laughs> and, and and so and, and beyond that the sports bar if anybody's been to filed away and seen the bar that they've got there it's absolutely fantastic downstairs and yeah. and um, something along those lines and that, that can be maybe even open during the week and a, a proper sports bar essentially and then the Victoria Lounge we've got plans to have as a kind of community space during the week and a proper proper family lounge um, yeah. on, on a match day with a food offering and with um, a, a bit of a change in the furnishings and make it much more family orientated so you can have a bit of food and a, and a pint while the kids have some fun in the corner sort of thing. So there's there's loads of plans. Loads of stuff to do, yeah. But, but it takes time and we've got to get all of the plans through. So I think we'll be looking to start launching stuff like that in the new year. Um, but exciting stuff. Fantastic. And just to round off, I just thought I'd tell you, Higgy, I uh, showed Mark my cricket bowling video earlier today. Oh, it's brilliant! Isn't it? <laughs> is it, is it, are you going to put it online? Is it going to be available online? Uh, um, if there's a, if there's a desire for it, I'll put it online. Oh, you've got to put it on because <laughs> you, you spent about ten steps trying to stay on your feet, but it was never going to happen, was it? <laughs> you've got to watch yeah. it. You've got to watch it. If it, please put it online because <laughs> it, I think it might make you understand. You won't be here next week. You'll be doing something else. <laughs> You'll be doing. You've been framed. With Harry they said Hill. that you've been framed. They weren't interested, I don't think. Weren't they? No, thankfully. Before we go, has anybody heard from Matty yet? Is he okay? Do we know that he's all I've right? I've just or? had a text. Let me see if it's from him. <laughs> just see uh, if he's all right. Yeah. Oh, no, he's asking about the podcast. Yeah, he's asking whether oh, we're doing right. the podcast. Oh, right. so okay. He's thinking of us. That's very kind of us, at least. But we haven't told him that we're doing it. <laughs> no, we did, we did. We gave him that. <laughs> but that rounds off the, uh, the Hartlepool United podcast for another week. Um... Look, get in touch with us if you if you want any questions answered. If you've got something you want to uh, to, to put to the fellas here, then uh, do get in touch. Media at hartlepoolunited.co.uk. I know that literally nobody got in touch last week. But if you've enjoyed it, let us know what you think. If you've got any questions, uh, get in touch with us as well. We'd love to discuss them uh, in the next podcast. Are we doing this every week? Well, we'll do it as often as we can. It was, it was a weekly. We'll try and do it weekly, but as often we as we can. Are we doing this every week? Yeah, if we can think of enough things to talk about, but um, the old story will get boring. Yeah, I thought the second one was more boring than the first one. <laughs> <laughs> the first one was boring, but this one was all. <laughs> right, well, that's it for everyone. Thank you, Mark. Thank you very much. And thank you, Craig. Cheers.